0: the devil is a master of that, isn't he? He's saying, I'm gonna push him on, push him on, push him, I'm gonna keep poking him, poking him, poking him. And then as soon as he as soon as then the, that you uh, start to get upset or get upset, then it fixes. It <laughs> works it over. Kinda like yeah, you beat me on that one, but you've lost the war. <laughs> so let's let's get on let's get on with it we are looking at bearing one another's burdens this uh, particular class we're going to adapt and we're going to uh, use in different parts of the world translated in some different languages Uh, it needs after after doing the conference yesterday i see that it needs a lot of tweaking and so we're going to try to get it um, a lot smoother to present easier to present and uh, that's, that's the plan anyway for now. But we uh, looked basically at seven things. We started with an introduction. And in Galatians 6, we saw the injunction to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. We saw in the second point about the importance of, of James and how we make adjustments and how we need to be willing to make the necessary adjustments in our life to be able to to be willing to say, okay, this is this is enough. I'm not pleasing the Lord. I need to make changes and how do I go about doing that? And then we start looking at emotions because if you get involved in helping other people, which we all as Christians should be willing to do, then you're going to be dealing with emotions. You're going to be dealing with theirs and you're going to be dealing with yours. So where do these emotions come from? Now, as a counselor, the last thing that you want to do is be offended and stomp off and huff up. You don't want to, you don't want to do that. As a counselor, you need to be willing to listen. Uh, we had a conversation about that yesterday. That, you know, James 1:19 comes so much into play. Whenever you're you're trying to help somebody and you're there, James 1:19 says, "Let everyone be quick to hear." Slow to speak and slow to anger. Now, what, a, what an amazing injunction that that is. Quick to hear. Because I know, like, you're probably a little like me. I probably project a little bit. But I know it's real easy when somebody's talking to me for me to be formulating a response to them while they're talking. Don't know if anybody else has ever encountered that. Sometimes you've maybe not noticed it in yourself, but in other people. You're trying to talk to them, and you can see the wheels turning, and their mind's a thousand miles away, and they're not listening at all. This frequently happens, because I've done a lot of marriage counseling, between husband and wife. You know, they, they come in together, and she starts telling what's wrong, and he says, I don't know what she's talking about. Well, she's been talking about it, more than likely, have you been listening? Because we are real good at tuning out what we don't want to hear or what bores us or what's not stimulating. We, get, we, we turn that into an art form. We can tune people out. I know, um, you know, raising our, our kids, occasionally they would be loud. Okay? And I learned how to tune them out so I could continue to do what I needed to do. But when it comes time to listen, to help somebody, to help them grow, that means you give them your undivided attention. And you try to understand what they're really saying and what the argument is. And sadly, in our whole society and culture and all over the world, that's not really the way it is, generally speaking. People are more willing to, interested in preaching than they are in listening. And if people would start listening a lot more with an intent of listening and understanding, then it might actually help us to a degree. So we're going to be dealing with emotions. We've seen that they're pleasant and unpleasant emotions, and that's just based on the world you live in. Some things are going to give you a joy. Some things are going to give you a sadness. Some of those lack of past interference calls last night, Depending on which team that you were on or the call of some of them might give you a joy or a sadness just based on the events. Some things are just normal responses to the events of the circumstances of life. Now, if you should have a pleasant feeling about something and you don't, that's where people turn evil into good and good into evil. And if you you do that often enough, you become a psychopath. And that's not what... What we want. Unpleasant emotions should produce that in us. Now as we encounter life, we don't value our life. We shouldn't test our life or evaluate it based on how I feel. Okay? Because we're going to feel good and we're going to feel bad at times. Now sadly, a lot of Christians feel that way. uh, They think that way. They think, well, I feel good today, therefore I must be saved. I grew up with a bunch of people like that. And they knew what the Word said. They did know what the Word said, but it's all based on whether they feel good or not today. I'm sorry, but some things are just unpleasant and it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you're saved. Whether or not you believed in Christ is what it has to do with. And once you've done that, then it's time to to grow up and to learn from that. But we've, we've learned that there, more importantly, is constructive and destructive emotions. How we respond is how we should respond. We should feel those things. We should examine our, our feelings to see whether or not we're in the faith. Now, don't spend your whole life examining your emotions. Otherwise, you're going to hide in the closet. Never come out of it. And sometimes... Emotions do need to be buried, especially if you're a first responder, if you're going to be a counselor. If you come on a situation, you've got to put your emotions in check real quick to deal with the issues at hand. But it doesn't say bury them and stuff them and try to forget about them. We need to process them. So it's okay to feel them, and it's okay to examine them. But then we need to figure out how to respond or express them. That's what's important. Because sometimes bad things happen to good people. Have you ever noticed that? And sometimes those bad things are traumatic and they are very bad. But the question is not whether they're pleasant or unpleasant. That's defined already as whether it's going to be constructive or destructive to yourself and others. Hebrews 12.15 says, Let no root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by it the many be defiled. That's a person that has processed their emotions in such a way they become destructive. To themselves, a root of bitterness springing up inside of us because we have unfulfilled expectations because we wanted it our, our way to go this way and our way went that way and we we wanted all these things and they're unfulfilled expectations so we end up mad at God, mad at the world mad at everybody else don't trust anybody won't give won't give any trust to, to other people and that's where we find ourselves trapped in one of these, Zones of slavery, because that's all it is. It's a slavery. Might as well be behind bars. It's a slavery. So <clears throat> process the emotions. So we've talked a lot about the, the theory behind it and how it fits and how we how we do that. And now we're at this point seven, one I mentioned in the first session. How then shall we live? Now. That's actually a very good question, is it not? And you find places in the Scripture where people are saying to the Lord, how shall we live? What do we do with this? How then shall we live? We saw this last week. We find God to the degree we want to find Him. That's what happens. See, we we often talk about trusting God, but we practice negotiation with Him. What can I do? Give me $3 worth of God. What can I do to get him off my back today so I can do what I want to do and I'll talk to you again tomorrow, God? I know we never say that consciously, but unconsciously, that's what we're thinking. Okay, I don't want to get out of out of line. I don't want to make a misstep. Here we go. But Lord, what can I do today to keep you off my back so nothing bad befalls me? It's not the way to approach life. We should come to believing... Uh, believing that God rewards those who earnestly seek him Hebrews 116 makes it very clear okay without faith it's impossible to please God and he rewards those who diligently seek him but we want rewards now that's part of our what we've been indoctrinated with in our society if we do something good we want them now I, I find it interesting about the wake-up call sent to some people through uh, um, through a thing called Twitter now, I'm sure some of you have heard something about that somewhere along the line I, I I never worked for a boss anytime in my life that had a yoga room and wine on tap <laughs> and said just go take care of yourself I was calling on businesses once in one of my former lives trying to sell stuff door to door and I went in there and it was lunchtime and this guy had about a dozen employees and they were all laying down on the floor with all the lights off and they were going through some type of meditation or something like that and i thought uh you guys don't need what i've got and i put it back out the door i thought this is this is crazy but you know for a boss to expect somebody to work isn't that isn't that what it's supposed to be okay not just slide through if you're getting paid to do something you know that the, the unions often say an honest day's work for an honest day's pay true statement but it should be an honest day's work <laughs> in order to get an honest day's pay that's what it, that's what it should be and that often gets left out sometimes people are uh, they get away with this they, they do as little as possible to go to get a paycheck That is not what Christians are supposed to do at all. Colossians 3.23 Do your work heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto men. So no matter who you're working for, we should want to do our job as well as we can possibly do it. That should be our attitude and our mindset. And I know if you start doing that, I learned that in high school. uh, Back working in a gas station. Because when I went to work in a gas station, I don't know if you remember the old gas stations or not with the bays in the middle of them and they smelled like gasoline and, and everything. And they were a disaster area, especially if you worked in one. And how how they didn't blow up you know, on a regular basis is only the grace of God. But I went into that and that just bothered me. Plus, there was a lot of time from car to car. And so I thought, I'm just going to clean stuff up and so I started cleaning up whatever gas station I went to <laughs> it, got, I, it turned out they sort of sent me to different ones to get the gas station cleaned <laughs> for a dollar and ten cents an hour but anyway that was fine because the time passed and it was all good and things, things looked better but, that, but then you get called uh, the brown nose and, and the teacher's pet and everything else that goes with it as a Christian you go that's fine I'm not working for them I am working for Him. And that's the way we ought to be doing things. I want to do my job as well as I can possibly do it. One of the main problems, and that was be that we have, is that we're, not that we're too passionate about bad things. We're just not passionate enough about good things. Sometimes we just, it's not that, hey, we want to pursue something that we know we shouldn't pursue. It's why don't we pursue something we know is good. Now, what would be good? I'll give you about 100 things this morning, but that's not the main topic of this. But pick up a bunch of gospel coins on the way out. Dare to hand them to somebody. Leave them with somebody if you go out to eat somewhere along with the tip. And leave a good tip. So they don't go, that cheapskate left me this coin and nothing else. That's not really the way to go about doing that. But you go out with an intention, I want to I light somebody's life up. Now what you're going to do is say something nice to somebody and they're going to be sullen and mad. And you're not going to get exactly what you wanted to get. But your goal should be to do the right thing let like God work it out. If they don't respond correctly, that's not your fault. But be nice and gracious to whoever you run into. The fallen structure within us has dulled our appetite for what's really good. It's dulled our appetite for what is really good. And that's part of our sin nature, part of who we are, we've looked at that. And the energy of a self-reliant spirit has cut the deepest nerve endings of our soul. As we want to be totally reliant. We want to be an island to ourselves. We don't want to have to interact, really, with a, a lot of people. Most people are that way. But when it, when it cuts us because we've been hurt... Harm, not process things properly, we get bored with the things in life that should bring us the most joy. And you start thinking about that like your spouse should bring us should bring you the most joy. Your kids, your grandkids. There are things that 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 friends, church should be the things that bring us the most joy, and then sometimes we just get bored with them. We often get more flattered by an invitation to an exclusive party than by the opportunity to pray. How about an invitation to pray? Prayer night tonight. Hmm. How many people that show up? We usually have to put food with it, music, some kind of entertainment, something like that. I don't know how, it, how churches would respond and honestly, I don't know exactly how we would respond if we just said next Friday night we're going to get together and pray. I know some of you would be here. Some of you be willing and ready to go and that would be fine, but is, does that just sound boring? Well, I pray all the time at home. I don't need anybody else to pray. But what would what really lights our fire, if you will, we find more delight in being wanted by certain people than being accepted by God. We develop a, the psychologists call it a codependency. We want somebody else's approval more than we want his approval. Now, we shouldn't do things to try and get disapproval from one another, but we should do things to do what is pleasing in his sight. 2 Corinthians 5 9. Paul says, I make it my ambition. To do that which is pleasing in his sight. Now, that should be what what we think about. What is important to to him. The loss of respect from friends hurts more than the loss of fellowship with Christ. Sometimes we view things that way. Well, I, I would really hate to lose a friend. Now we don't want to lose a friend over something stupid we've done. Over an abuse of our liberty, or a flaunting of it, or the, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8 about uh, offending people by eating meat sacrificed to idols, we don't want to lose friendships over non-essentials. Hey, that shouldn't be what we want to do. But sometimes we, what is our main thing? Do we put more effort and thought and prayer into that than we do about Lord, how do I get closer to You? draw near to God and he'll draw near to you and that command is an active draw near that says you do it don't wait on him he's already there (laughs) you do it it's kind of like the dinner's already set but are you at the dinner he said behold I stand at the door and knock in Revelation 3 we open and let me in so we can have fellowship around the dinner he's already there and he has the meal prepared. Getting a promotion at work more meaningful than watching God work through us to encourage somebody. When things become more important about our secular life than our spiritual life, we should be more interested in helping other believers, in encouraging other people as, the, as they need it, bearing one another's burdens like what we're studying. Those one another commands or principles that we find. Encourage one another. Build up one another. Bear one another's burdens. Love one another. 26 of those positive commands that are found in there that are all designed to build relationships. How about the joy of giving's been replaced by the pleasure of getting? Would we rather give something away or get something? There's a passage in Ephesians 4 that says work a little extra so you'll have a little something extra to give. Boy, that's a novel thought, isn't it? That's a novel thought, so we'll have a little something extra to give. Normally, that's not what happens, is it? We start off thinking, gosh, if I just put in a little more overtime, I can buy this, fill in the blank. Or I can do this, fill in the blank very seldom, even among Christians, and that's shown by statistics from George Barna even among Christians, very seldom do people have giving to, to missions, giving to service giving to help other people not real high in the priority list the new was it iPhone 14 now they keep trying to give me I haven't figured out how to work the Android 2.0 yet, and I carry it, and it's Paid for and it works, and so yippee! <laughs> that's that's all I need. I have no idea, no clue, no desire to know all the things that this phone does. It takes way too much time and effort. But do we have more pleasure helping somebody else out? That's where that's where a Christian's life should be. The thrill of living is unthreatened people who continue continue to give. No matter how we are treated. Now see, the test is this Christ-like? Is this Christ-like? How was he treated? He was treated like a criminal, was he not? He was treated with disrespect. Can you imagine someone having the audacity to slap the creator of the universe? That's insane. And yet... How did he respond? While being reviled, he did not revile in return. Who did he say he was? He told them earlier, before Abraham came into existence, I am. I'm the I am. I'm God in the flesh. And they say, no, 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 you can't be. That's blasphemy. They picked up rocks to stone him and all that. And he quoted a verse to them and he says, you are God's. Doesn't the Bible say that? How can you get after me by saying I am the Son of God? Huh. Got to stop and think on that one, don't you? Because it adds a little note, and the Bible doesn't lie (laughs) in there. You are gods. In other words, what does he mean? You're gods in your own mind. Because when you set aside the Word of God and decide that your opinion is more valuable and more authoritative than what the creator of the universe had inspired and had written down when you do that you're acting like God so if you are God do the things of God because what was Jesus doing he was God and he was doing the things of God he was healing the man born blind he was raising the dead he was feeding 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. That's who he was. He was doing things only God could do. And yet they, they missed him. And see, Jesus, he had to have a smile on his face. A lot of these pictures portray him walking around with a long face and stone face. Now, I think he had a blast. Why? Consider it all joy. What had he done? He saw people's lives transformed by the message. That's what he did. So there was a joy about him. And you know what? Even though they were out to kill him, he was unthreatened. Now what about you? Does every little thing threaten us? Are we walking around as more than conquerors. Not because of who we are, but because the one we believed in. And we are entered into union with Him. It's called positional truth. The moment we believe in Christ, and we are more than conquerors. So like David said, what is man able to do to me? Nothing. Are you able to live life unthreatened? Well... <clears throat> The thrill of living as unthreatened people who can continue to give no matter how we are treated stirs us less than the chance to protect ourselves against assaults on our dignity and, and affirm our value. We're more interested in what people think and say about us than what we are doing to honor the Lord. Now this is the typical end result of a fallen nature. But the godly nature is what we're after, Right? How then do we live? It is through thoughts. It's through speech. And it's through actions. Rather than finding God. We prefer to relive our. Uh, relieve our terror of life. By making money and friends. See instead of going after God. And that becoming the all. All consuming thing. And we want to know him. Like Paul. Philippians chapter 3. In prison. And he's talking about maturity, Philippians chapter 3. And he says, what I want more than anything is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now Paul, arguably, was the greatest theologian that ever lived. And he's been at this for almost 30 years now. He's had time to think in prison. And he says, I am not as mature as I need to be. That's what Paul's saying. So, <clears throat> some people don't want to find God to that degree. Most people don't. But what do they do? There's a hole in everybody. It's called a God hole. It's been talked about for a long time. Only God can fill. But if He's not filling this hole in our life, we're going to try to fill it with fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. That's the way it happens. We express our rage at God by arrogantly trusting ourselves. And some people say, I don't rage at God. No, you just try to ignore him. Try to to leave him out of the picture, out of the equation. We have a dinner and he's not invited to it. Have a funeral. And the Lord Jesus only gets mentioned whenever they play a song by James Taylor. Won't you look down on me, Jesus? Won't you help me take a stand? Help me make it through another day. That's a disappointing funeral. Because that person had no regard for the creator of the heavens and the earth and the universe. Is there a rage at God? I think a lot of people get mad at Him because they're not Him. And if we go back to the original problem of Satan which we know is arrogance in the five I wheels of Isaiah 14 and we know that. I think it went a little farther than that. The arrogance, I think, was not the first sin. That's where it manifested. I think it was envy. Because he had everything. Ezekiel 28 except he wasn't God. And so what did he say he was going to do? I will be like the most high. I will ascend up Mount Olympus to the recesses of the north. I will be, I will be, I will be. And his arrogance actually led him to believe that he could bring God down and raise himself up. And we've seen where that's led. We've seen where that's led. Now, that's the fallen structure. How then shall we live? And while we had some models previously that were things that give a good explanation of how we think, how we live, what we do. This is putting the shoe leather on it. Because what you're going to find here are Bible verses. To go with these points of how then shall we live. And that's what we're going to continue with next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your love and grace and mercy and all your blessings, all your tests. Father, we we know that it is a fallen world. But, Father... You've called us to be lights in the middle of this world. So, Father, I pray that that's what we would be. I pray that we'd have the courage to step out of the shadows and not be obnoxious, but, Father, be there and be available to be used. We know you don't need our ability, but our availability. And so, Father, I pray that's what we would be and that we would be willing to speak up and honor our Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.